Welcome back, listeners. This week, I'm really excited that we have a long and overdue Gazetta Football Italia special. Of course, we still have all the usual good stuff, Confessions of a Kit Man, Kit Room 101, but first, the weekly news roundup. Joining me this week, we have the usual house resident, Tom, at The Shirt Fan. Hello. And we're also happy to welcome back regulars, Mike at Footy Shirts and Scott at Flying Scotty. Hi, gents. Hello. Evening. Who's wearing what today? So in honour of our uh, guest today and our Room 101, I have the 92-93 AC Milan home shirt on. So again, I am wearing a shirt in honour of our guest and this special pod and I've got the 2017 Genoa shirt because, as people may not know, they were founded by an Englishman called James Richardson. So there's a nice little link for everyone there. Love that, Tom. Absolutely love that. Mike, you're letting the side down, but we'll let you, you know, there's a reason why. I, I am. There's two reasons why. One was because I knew everybody else was going to go Italian. I just thought I'd try and balance the scales a little bit. Um, and yeah, secondly, I've gone for the Bayern 0809, which is not to be confused with the 0708 because it has less stars on. And we'll find out more about that later. For anybody interested, I'm wearing a Brescia 2000 home shirt, Bacio's debut season. Moving swiftly on, let's go to the news. In this week's news, Adidas launch a new shirt for one of their star clubs. Nike and Liverpool release a shirt that could leave you in the red. And Verda Bremen have an inspirational idea for a new shirt. Who wants to go first, Mike? Do you want to kick us off with uh, the buying story? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So uh, I think everybody's seen by now that the new home shirt was officially dropped um, th- th- this week. It's... um. I like it. So it's a nice one. So it, it, there was a lot of rumours last year they were going to go to a hoop shirt. So I think it's been a little bit of a surprise because it's more of a sort of like a, a random pinstripe hoop rather than a solid hoop. Um, but it seems to have gone down quite well. It's, it's, it's a nice shirt, a nice white collar, very, very current buy-in, if you know what I mean, all red and white, obviously still no blue. That's not going to change anytime soon. Um, and for the second season, obviously, they've got their five stars above the badge interesting point there Mike they've introduced a fifth star why is that so the Bundesliga they got a strange system with their their stars above the badges a lot of people obviously think it's more to do with European competition but in in Germany it's it's not related at all so um, up until a couple of years ago it was always set that you'll get one star when you get three Bundesliga titles now this is Bundesliga so nothing Nothing like German National League or anything before the Bundesliga was formed. Um, so, yeah, so three titles gets you one star, five titles gets you two stars, 10 gets you three, and then 20 would have got you your fourth star, which uh, the shirt I'm wearing today, that, that was Bayern's first shirt with that fourth star. Uh, and up until um, they won their 30th, which was obviously the, the end of last season, um, there was no, nothing sort of like set out for the fifth star, but obviously it was their 30th. So the Bundesliga said, yeah, we're going to give you that fifth star. And and they did. And yeah, so now they're a five-star Bundesliga team. To me, that seems ridiculously confusing for a star system. Why don't they just do 10 wins per star? 
I, I th- do you know what I think it is? I, I think that obviously to get to get one star with three titles, it kind of that that seems achievable. And you know, there are a few teams that have got that. You know, obviously Dortmund being one of them, and a couple of others. Um, and I think that when they set this out, I can imagine that you know this was before the last ten years of Bayern dominance. So I think that you know to have set twenty four stars at twenty, I think you know did they really think that this soon on? you'd have had Bayern picking up that 30th title. I think when they looked at this, they they just didn't. So I think that they set the bar quite, not being insulting, but relatively low to start with, with the three and the five to give those clubs chances to get those stars. And then, yeah, I think that obviously with Bayern's dominance, not only has nobody had the chance to get any, um, but then they've brought in the extra one as well. So even the Bundesliga founders were hoping for a more competitive league. Quite possibly. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's remember, it, it was for a long time. And, and you got to remember, a third of Bayern's titles have come within the last 10 years. That literally, 10, 10 in a row, it, it was unheard of before that, wasn't it? So even, even Bayern had never dominated on this level before. You know, if the rumours are true about a very um, smart-looking Club World Cup-style badge with 10 on it is going to be worn on the shirt as well. I heard that was yeah. the, the first game yeah. they wear it. They're going to have a badge. Yeah, it, it looks like I, I'm sure I read that it was confirmed um, for yeah for this weekend when they wear the shirt for the first time. Um, and yeah, like you say, it's it, um, I forget what it says on it. It's, it's basically obviously a play on the Meister, which is obviously the German champions uh, phrase um, with the ten in there, and it looks pretty smart. I got to be honest, I'm I'm not always one for patches, but I think it'll be tempting to get the new Bayern shirt or at least I mean if it's only worn with that in that one game obviously get the home shirt with that patch on would be pretty cool pretty unique one to have in the collection our lovely listeners will have managed to see that shirt being worn against Stuttgart I think the weekend just gone as it comes out so just quickly there is an Italian link between that conversation with the stars and title wins as well it goes back to Genoa who are the oldest Italian football team and of course in the early days of Italian football they dominated everything and they won nine championship titles and they've been waiting for their 10th, which would include a star on their shirt since 1924. So, yeah, maybe there's something said for only three well, wins well. for a star. They would, would a Serie B title, would a Serie B count, title count if they can get that next year? No, I think only top division titles count for them. I just have one question for you as the Bayern fan, Mike. How do you feel about the effort the designers have made to just turn the 17-18 um, kit sideways? do you know you know what i mean i think on social media generally the kit seems to be going down quite well um i I like it in all honesty funny you mentioned the 1718 that that was one that on release i I didn't like at all um and it's grown on me and it's probably i've got three different versions of it now it's one of my my favorites probably of the last 10-15 years and it's funny how they grow on you like that but this one I think I like it more on release than I did with that one. And I, I quite like the design of it, to be honest. I know um, I was uh, speaking to uh, Pedro um, uh, a couple of days ago, uh, yesterday about it. And and he said he doesn't like the way that, you know, the, the, the stripes just stop and they don't follow around the back. And I know that that's a general complaint with a lot of shirts. So trying to put that bit aside, because that's a design flaw that we have across all football shirts at the moment. Um, I, I just think it's a really good shirt. It, it's different to anything they have had before. And it's, you know, it, it reminds me a little bit of that that Germany uh, Euros home shirt as well, with those sort of like thin stripes running around it. It looks like there's at least a little bit of inspiration come from that. It's, I think it's a good solid shirt. And so far it seems to be, you know, most people seem to like it. Thank you very much, Mike, our resident Bayern expert. 
but there were actually not one shirt released in Germany this week. There were to two. So, Scott, do you want to tell us about a Werder Bremen shirt? Yeah, so it was announced today by the uh, club that they have announced a special fan appreciation shirt. And uh, it's actually quite, quite cool how they've come up with the idea. And um, it seems that they won't be the only Umbro uh, club doing this style of shirt as well. But what they've done is they've taken tattoos from fans and three of the players. Now, they had obviously it had to do with a club or a story to do with a club. And they had 30, three, uh, 328 submissions and they've selected 39 tattoos to decorate the shirt. And it, look, it actually looks really fantastic. And a lot of other people obviously think so as well, because it, when I went on the website to do a bit of research into the price and stuff, then the website had actually crashed. And what it is, is they've taken the third, the template of the third and just redesigned it. And it was a Dutch designer called Floor Westling that has put this uh, shirt together. And I think it looks really nice. It's a, uh, the, the third kit was a black kit and they have the Verder green. And the designer has put these tattoos along the shirt really smartly. And it was, uh, yeah, so it's 80... 4.95 in euros obviously if you live in the the UK you will have to pay the delivery fee and i think almost similar to the buyer uh, the dortmund shirt they did the neon the null neon shirt they've they sold out so quickly they've actually opened a pre-order so if anybody wants one they're they're still available you can go on the site and just order uh, make a pre-order so i think they're going to produce as many as as fans want which to me as a collector, I do love a limited shirt, but it's a fan appreciation shirt. So why shouldn't everybody have the chance to own one? What did you guys think? I'm actually a massive, massive fan of this shirt. I think it's really cool. I like the idea. It's, it's really unique. We've not seen, oh well, to my knowledge, we've not seen anything like that before in terms of a story behind the shirt. It's really vis- uh, visually striking. Even the name of it is really cool. The How Deep Is Your Love shirt. I just, I just love it. I think it's amazing. It opens up a whole world of possibilities. You know, we look at some of the, the top footballers in the world are bedecked with tattoos. You could have a I think of the Neymar PSG shirts you could have, Scott, along this vein. I think it's That's great. very true. Um, I, 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 I don't mind the shirt. I think for me, there's there's a bit of a flaw with it. Um, anyone who's ever seen a picture of me knows I'm pretty heavily covered in tattoos. And there's something <laughs> a bit weird about being covered in tattoos and wearing a shirt that is also covered in tattoos. Um, so it's it, whilst I do like it, I think personally it's one that may may not go into my collection. But did, did sorry, Scott, did you say that it's it was fan submission? So it was like fan tattoos and stuff that are on there. Yeah, so there was uh, the, there were three players that play for Werder Bremen that submitted some of their tattoos, and then yeah, every other so the other I, I'm not sure how many tattoos the players actually submitted, but yeah, there was 328 submissions, and it was fan tattoos. So what you had to do is take a picture of your tattoo and send in the story about why you have that tattoo and how it links your love of the club Mm -hmm. and I saw I saw one there's obviously one with a a father and a son going to a game because there's a a silhouette of a a father holding the son's hand which I assume is them walking to the game so there's some really there's some really pertinent pictures in there and I did see one of a penguin so I'm not sure what that has to do with with Werder Bremen but I think I think it's it's a great idea and if if Umbra were going to carry it across I think that means uh, West Ham are in a 
Umbro, aren't they? Yeah. So we well, could have a shirt. Yeah, we could have a yeah. shirt covered in bulldogs holding Union Jacks by the end of next <laughs> season. Well, the hint, the hint that came from it was um, Brentford have released a an advert asking fans to submit uh, tattoos. So I think there there could be a potential for any club made by Umbro. They're they're gonna yeah they might follow suit. Probably because they saw how popular. I mean, if you're crashing a Werder Bremen website, obviously people are. I imagine it'll be the same as the the null neons. You'll have the the fans. You'll then have the shirt fans, and then you'll now have a bunch of disappointed flippers because they're not limited and they're on pre-order. So win-win all around. We we often talk about tapping into fan culture with these designs, and yeah, I I just think this does it perfectly. It's so so cool, I think. And like you said, looking through the different tattoos that are on the shirt, you've got a real variety. You've got like a goldie looking chain, Verde Bremen style choker around the collar. You've got a stake by the looks of it. There's a, a Johan Mikud shirt, formerly of Palmer as well, for another Galazzo link. Yeah, it, it's, it's really cool. You, people should definitely have a look at it if they haven't seen it. So despite my Magaluf 2006 tattoo not making a cut, it's a universal thumbs up from the team here. And just to, just to finish off, they will be wearing the shirt in the next game against... Now, here, I don't know why you always give the Scotsman the, the funny pronunciations, but it's Ergsberg-Oi. <laughs> That's the next game. And the shirt's exclusively available at the Werder Bremen website. Just one more time, Scott, for everyone. Who is it they're playing? <laughs> That's it. You're only getting one. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we look forward to you telling us how that game went next week, Scott. Yes, that's true. They'll have, uh, will have already played. <laughs> Tom, if Liverpool fans haven't got enough to shout about already at the moment, they've got a new shirt to shout about. Yeah, you've really given me the short straw of this one because everybody knows I love Liverpool. Absolutely love them. But the news is, Dave, of course, it's shirt release season for the, for the upcoming season next year. Teams often like to promote and sometimes wear their new kit for next season at the tail end of the current one. And we've seen Liverpool's shirt unveiled by Nike for next season. Uh, it seems to, well, as always, these shirts divide opinion. Um, a lot of people seem to love it, say it's a really classic look. And a lot, a lot of other people seem to hate it. They say it's really plain and, and lacking in detail. Um, my opinion, it's a Liverpool shirt, so obviously I hate it. But actually, I quite like it. I, I do like the classic look. Um, it's, it is definitely lacking in detail, but... The authentic shirt in particular has a really nice Nike pattern in the material. And yeah, it's just classy looking, I think. Um, the only downside to it, I would say, is the the weird panel on the back towards the neck. It's very training shirt for me, which seems to be a style that's going to be on a lot of Nike shirts for next season. Um, what do you guys think about it? I, I, I'm a bit like you. Like I, I do like it. To be honest with you, I do think it's a, a nice looking shirt. I think, I think one of my problems with it is going to be a, a bit like you touched on. I think it's going to be one of those shirts that really highlights the differences between um, the sort of like the authentic or dry fit advance, whatever Nike calling it now, and the stadium version, um, which I'm not a big fan of when it, it, it becomes too obvious. Um, and I think on a shirt that is as simple as that you're going to want the authentic version because part of the appeal of it from the, the sort of the promo images that I've seen and funny enough I was talking to my brother this week he was a Liverpool fan and he's not really into shirts like we are but the first thing he did was text me say have you seen the new Liverpool shirt I said yeah it looks quite nice and he said please tell me this pattern within this shirt is on the cheaper version as well 
And I was like, no, mate, you're going to be really disappointed if that's what you think. I was like, absolutely not. I was like, you will get a bog standard plain version on the stadium. And and whilst I think it's a nice shirt, I think it, it more on that side of things, I think it's it's going to be one where people are probably going to want to fork out a little bit more and go for, for the authentic if they want the one that looks a little classier. And for those that want to do that, there's some price news from Nike as well this, this week, isn't there, Tom, in terms of these, these Liverpool shirts? Yeah, so Mike is right. There is definitely going to be, this is one of those shirts where you're definitely going to want that advanced spec, but it has risen in price by £10, it looks, from the the advanced shirts from last year. And the uh, the stadium, the replica version, also have risen in price by £5 by the looks of it. This is obviously if you buy direct from Nike. Um, I believe uh, we've had a couple of people on Twitter. So we've got Reese say that actually Liverpool have done a really good thing if you buy direct from the store, they have frozen the price of shirts from this season going into next. So, yeah, if, you, if you're after this shirt, probably best to go direct via the Liverpool site rather than through Nike. Having done a little bit of research into it as well, the, the only positive I can see is you're right about the stadium pattern. It's just going to be that horrible, matte, cheap stadium material. But the, the, two, the two details that I thought that were quite nice on it um, are included in the stadium version. So you'll have the Hillsborough insignia on the back of the neck, which is obviously really important to the club. And the they have a very cool designed, uh, you'll never walk alone. So obviously the YNWA on the sleeve cuff. And it does, from just looking at the pictures, it does look like they've carried both those um, unique design features onto the stadium, which is which is good news. So they're, the only thing you will miss out on is the the dry fit advanced uh, uh, pattern within the material. Yeah, it's good to see some of that detail and carry across to the stadium shirts because that's been a, a big big beef amongst us, hasn't it? Really, in terms of the difference of the stadium and the player spec shirts and the price point. But even that stadium shirts crept up as well. I think five pound more expensive this year by the looks of it, unless you go through the club and hopefully more nightclubs this season or next season, should I say, follow Liverpool's suit and look to do a price freeze for for all those fans, loyal fans out there that have got lots of shirts to buy as usual. Yeah, I'm not sure where it's going to stop, to be honest, because I remember the the actual authentic versions of the shirts haven't been available for that long. It's still quite a recent thing that they've actually released them to the public. And I know uh, the PSG Jordan ones are obviously quite um, in the forefront on my my mind as always and I remember I bought the 1819 PSG Jordans and Authentics and they were £90 and that was only four years ago and they're already up at £115 I mean that's mental you know that's that, that's more than a 25% increase in four years and this is obviously a football shirt show so we won't get into politics but that seems I'm pretty sure the sweatshops haven't increased their materials by that much they're probably still making the shirts for £2.50 so where they found the need for you know a more than a 25% increase in such a short period of time is is outrageous in my opinion shirts are worth what people will be prepared to pay Scott (laughs) we know this excellent stuff any other news out there Uh, any South American news I think I spotted a few items this week yeah so there was one um, this one's obviously worth a mention because of the disaster that happened last year but Atletico Monero have um, come out with yet another competition for their Monte de Massa shirt. Um, and today they announced the 13 finalists. Now, this is, I have to be honest, I'm not really that um, clued up on 
on the competition. So I did a bit of reading today and it's actually something they've done for, this is the third year that they've done it, where they give the fans the opportunity to have this, this shirt designed and they, they give them a theme. Now everybody on Twitter will remember that the carry on with the map shirt uh, last year that was a limited edition only available at the club, but old big Mike, as well as managing to sell his, uh, his club to an oil baron managed to get a hold of a few of them to sell at a very cheap price. So I think everybody will be aware of that this year. But yeah, if you head over to, uh, I know Footy Headlines had a good article and there's a few a few things on Twitter as well where you can go and check out the, the designs. Uh, 13 of them, and it's based on their new stadium. And this will be your last chance potentially as a fan to get your design voted in because in July Adidas take over and it will no longer be Lecoq Sportif. But my favourite thing about it is you've got 12 designs that are very, very black, you know, blackout badges, <laughs> maybe with a little bit of trim and randomly there's a white one in there. So I don't know <laughs> I don't know which fan, just, everybody decided that the stadium was black, but one fan decided he was going to make a white shirt. So... <laughs> Well, I look forward to seeing that all over the Twitter feed. I know we've got some huge athletic Minanero fans amongst the shirt collecting community, so look forward to seeing that. Anything else in South America this, this week? Wasn't there something about an Argentina shirt? Does anybody want to cover that off? Didn't somebody sell one? No. Other news this week, Kit Mag Volume 3 is being posted out, so that's going to be landed on doormats all across the world. We'd really like to see pictures of you with your magazine, with your shirt, where you are. If you could at us on Twitter at at kit magazine underscore that'd be great and we look forward to seeing lots of lots of those across our timeline and just remember when you post a picture of your ayak shirt with a magazine make sure they're clearly distinguishable and write which year of the ayak shirt you have because otherwise nobody will have any idea over the last 50 years which home shirt you've taken a picture of This week's guest is someone who made Gianluca Vialli wear a wig, Paul Ince a chicken costume, and dress Gazza up in an Easter egg. Jonathan worked on Football Italia from 1993, when he joined as a runner, all the way through to when the curtain came down in 2002 as a producer. Jonathan Grade, welcome to the Kitmap pod. Thank you very much. Lovely to be on, guys. Lovely to be on. We are delighted to have you. No secret, myself and Tom are huge um, Serie A fans, and particularly you know, the 90s. And you know, I think that probably echoes the thoughts and opinions of a lot of football shirt community and sort of where we overlap and where we find common ground. So we're really delighted to have you with us today. And thank you ever so much. No worries. No worries. People may not know this, but you wrote an excellent book that came out during lockdown, didn't it? I think a couple of years ago. Did it, come out? it came out um, November 2020, so sort of 18 months ago. Yeah, it's obviously I worked pretty much throughout the whole series on Football Italia and Gazetta. The idea came to me when um, Peter Brackley passed away because Ray Wilkins passed away, Peter Brackley passed away, our director Tom Doherty passed away, and obviously Kenneth passed away. And I thought there was never sort of closure in that final episode. We never 
said whether we'd be back or not. We just didn't know. And James had to quite open at the end. And so we sort of didn't fall off the air, but there was sort of, there wasn't a sort of fanfare or this is the end after so many years. So I just thought it was sort of no one had told the story at that time. I thought from bits I could remember behind the scenes and sort of taking people back to that place where Syria was sort of so dominant and such a great league. I thought it would be nice for um, people to be taken back to that place, especially during lockdown when there was literally nothing going on. And so I wrote the book. I got such a great memory of that time that I'm very blessed that I remember so much detail of it. And I just um, got writing and sort of just kept going. It was it was um, it was a really lovely project to to work on. I mean, just tapping into what you said there about bringing people back to that time, I can completely echo AD in that I'm a child of the '90s. Every Sunday, I used to sit down with my dad. We'd put Football Italia on. And I have to let you know that you are to blame for me blowing a lot of my savings, arguments with girlfriends, for all the holidays yeah. and trips I've taken to Italy but because I watched <laughs> your show back in the 90s. I can only apologise for that. <laughs> I can only apologise. But it was an institution. And I think, obviously, it started with Gaza. But part of the attraction of it, was that it was the only football available live on terrestrial television. So people weren't wanting to fork out for Sky subscriptions and people just love the products and they love the colour. And I think Italian 90 had so much to do with it. They got a sort of, they got to know the stadiums and the fans and just, just the atmosphere of Italian football. I think people just loved it. You had all the stars, all the world stars playing in that league and it was brought to you for nothing every week. And I think, people just jumped on it. And obviously, Saturday morning Gazetta show, there was nothing that really rivaled it. Soccer AM was a show, obviously a show that went out, but it didn't sort of have the sort of, in a way, not the culture, but the whole um, Italian sort of feel to it. You know, the James being on location all around Italy, the sunshine, it, ju- it just brought out that colour and thing. It was part of a sort of match day for so many football fans. I mean, as someone that works for Sky now, I can tell you there's a lot more to be said for the Amalfi Coast than Osterley. That's all I will say. You've always had, <laughs> always had that on Soccer AM. <laughs> yeah. Osterley Park is a sunny day. is a nice place to be. Yeah, it's not Osterley. true. upgraded <laughs> it. So, so the book itself, I think, really captures the time perfectly. And, you know, although it, the backdrop is your experience and your time on the show and, you know, it moves through the show and it moves through the seasons in brilliant detail. And I would just say to anybody out there who's, who just wants to read up on the 90s Italian football, it's, it's a great timeline in a way to follow the stories, which teams were coming of age, which players were coming of age, some of the most dramatic games. I have read it two or three times now. I was delighted. Very kind. Well, I was delighted to pick it back up when you said you did the interview. I thought, oh, I've got to revisit that. So, <laughs> so, so do you want to maybe just get, give us an overview of how it all started for you yeah it's um it's very very mad story really so summer of 92 i'd left school and i was going to live in france for a year to do a french language diploma and my dad was just quite high up at channel four and he said we just bought the rights to italian football because gaza were just joining lazio i said oh wow that's incredible and i wasn't mad about italian football back then because i i saw how all the big stars went out to us. I was sort of thinking, you know, it's just such a shame. They're just taking all our best players. And, you know, I'm not, don't really like, I, I really, the only thing I really wasn't into Italian football at all. And so I, I did some work experience for the production company Chrysalis for a month before I went to France. And 
It was great. I learned a lot. Learned my first foray into TV because I hadn't really worked in TV before then. And so at the end of that month, I thanked them and I I went off to France and then did my year in France. And then I thought, what what am I going to do when I get back? <laughs> I need. I was sort of starting my my career, so I I emailed not emailed I called because we didn't have email then. Called Neil Duncanson, who was overseeing. He was basically the exec producer at North One. What's now North One, but it was Chrysalis back then. And I said, any chance to do more work experience? And they said, yeah, yeah, it'd be great to have you on board. We had the first season and it really helped. The more hands on deck, the better. So fine. So they weren't paying me very much. I mean, just, I mean probably a couple hundred quid a week back then. It was just, but it was an enormous amount of money <laughs> living at home. So it got to the end, got towards the first week of the season. And we all went out for a company night out to a restaurant in West London. And so we're just having dinner and I, I turned to Neil and I said, any chance for a job on the show? And he said, yes, we start on Monday. And that was it. <laughs> and I was in. And that was the start of it all. Was Gazza at that meal? Gazza wasn't at that meal. Gazza was <laughs> in, in Rome, sadly. Probably injured, but um, he was in Rome. That season, actually, he had a lot of fitness issues at the start. and Just took a few months to get up and running and actually had a really good season. But he, um, he, he had the fitness issues, which sort of plagued him throughout his career. Obviously, you kind of the idea of the production was to follow Gazza out there, and at first he was intended to be the presenter. Yeah, and was was I right in thinking James was kind of his his producer on site? Is that kind of how it worked? Pretty much. I mean, as it went on, James would be with crew out there every week, recording all his features, the links, his news, and so he would basically be directing an interview in Gaza pretty much every week we spoke to him every week so um yeah he was he would he jumped on and on board with it all and he was supposedly not been presenting but obviously Gaza was not really the best suited for that role should we say and James was um James brilliant you know from the off he was he was people don't actually remember that first season he didn't actually do the live games it was always done from London commentary wise but the first season it was Peter Brackley and whoever the guest was there was no one in the stadium and you had a, a, you know, a who's who's lineup of guests as well didn't you in terms of ex-players and players that have been in Italy I mean you know, some yeah. of the names there fantastic yeah Brackley's favourite was working with, with Ray Wilkins both really sadly passed away but their rapport on screen was um, was just incredible because they um, he just knew how to get the best out of Ray and Ray knew how to get the best out of Brackers. They, they were just like a, an old married couple carrying on. Brackers would take the mickey out of him by saying, oh, that he's passable fools, that's something you would never do, right? Kind of thing. <laughs> and it was just brilliant. And Ray would always come on if Milan were playing and say, uh, I mean, just unbelievable. Like, you would never get this these days. So he says, um, I do apologise if I'm a bit biased today. Obviously, with my my playing days at Milan, I'm just obviously still a fan. So if I do stand a bit one side, I'm trying to apologise. And he'd say that every time. And it was just, it was just, it wasn't, it, the honesty was of it was brilliant. And that, you know, they were his team, but he just felt like he had to say that if he was being favouring them, it was just, it was how he felt. And it was also genuine and from the heart. And they, and they both just got on so well. It was just every, Brackers would, would always hope it, that it would be Ray. I mean, that he had a great relationship with the other commentators like Lisa Blissett, Paul Elliott, Liam Brady, I'm trying to run through the list now. Joe Jordan, um, yeah, there's a, there's a steady, Jordan, steady Jordan, city cast, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. These guys were all just brilliant. I mean, they, they worked brilliantly with Brackers, but 
that Ray Wilkins and Bracker's combo had had that certain added ingredient in it. It was just it was just so natural the chemistry between them. It's the kind of chemistry that me and AD aspire to on this podcast. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, but no, it was, it was it you couldn't it was the kind of thing you you almost uh, the cliche as you want to bottle it because it was it was so perfect the two of them they just bounced off each other so brilliantly and I, I'll give you an example the first live game James did James is doing the halftime throwback to the commentators second half's about to kick off here are your commentators Peter Brackley and Ray uh, uh, oh dear couldn't remember Ray Wilk it was his first live game it was just one of those things you know it happens and Brackley straight away he's so quick to take the mic out of anyone you say right time to chat to Ray what's his name over that first <laughs> half and that's what he was like Brackers he would he, I've said in the book he would find any opportunity he could to take the, the mickey out of anyone on the production it, it didn't really matter what who you were what level you were at he just but it was done into such a in such a sort of gentle way a fun way and you'd never offend but mm. he had he was just razor sharp and any sign of weakness he was on to you and it, it, it was just brilliant he was absolutely brilliant Hello and a very good afternoon to you from me, Peter Brackley, and welcome to Football Italia for our first visit this season to the Artemio Franchi Stadium in Florence, home, of course, of Fiorentina, who today are host to the reigning champions, Milan. We know plenty about them, of course, but what of Fiorentina? One of the pre-season favourites, they've not had the most productive of starts, as we can hear now from Kenneth Walson home. For most of last season, Fiorentina were Milan's closest rivals in the title chase. However, the Viola faded badly in the latter stages of the campaign and ultimately finished a disappointing fourth. But there was a consolation prize. Rui Costa, this is Matty Stuta. Oh, terrific goal! And the top scorer in the Italian Cup does it again. I think that seeped through into the show, that general kind of feel in that everyone was, like you said, at the top of their game. Everyone knew their stuff, but it was fun. It wasn't, it, yeah. you know, it wasn't deadly serious. We're here it wasn't to meant you. to be. It was fun. But James's jokes, they were just meant to be fun. The whole thing was just meant to have that lighthearted feel. And obviously the football was serious. You know, it was a really competitive league and whatever. But it wasn't meant to be just, you know, too too serious and you know that had to have that element of humor to it some weeks on gazetta we literally had to run through james's some of james's jokes on new on the news through the company lawyers to see if we were all right to use them because <laughs> back then it wasn't like the political correctness now some of the well stuff, if they were bad in the 90s how bad must it have been yeah well i mean <laughs> there were never there were never any any shockers there was one which i can't possibly repeat on here but there was just it was because even the 90s the political correctness was nothing like it is today and there was so much more stuff you could get away with so much has changed since that time in the world yeah so some of the stuff we put out not there was anything bad about it but it was just you wouldn't do it now it's it might be borderline It was the strongest league in the world, and none of us are going to debate that anyway. But by some perceived as a boring league or offensive league, 
couldn't be much more wrong, could they, with the first game kicked off with another English star, not Paul Gascoigne, but another English star was on the field that day. The Sampdoria-Lazio game, what a way to get started. It was incredible. It was just the most phenomenal game. And I watched it at home and it sort of set the tone because the first eight weeks we had the most insane games and we had Milan beating Lazio 5-3. You know, there were other games that, there were other games that, so high scoring. Um, Milan won 5 1 at Napoli. Milan went to Florence and scored seven. Milan nearly lost to Pescara, who'd just gone up and won 5 4. Max Allegri scored in that game, unbelievably, for yeah. Pescara. But there were, there was these games, there was just the, it was such a myth about Italian football. And even now, even now, it, this myth carries on. And Serie A outscores the Premier League. Games are entertaining. They're almost box to box every week, even now. It, it outscores the Premier League. And this whole myth, it all comes back to Italian teams sitting back on the lead and whatever. There were so few games that were dull. There was there was so much drama in every game. I mean, that first game, Beppe Signori, who no one had ever heard of, came on and scored two goals. And it was just end to end. You know, that first game that, at Luigi Ferraris in Genoa, you know, it's like an English-style stadium. It's a beautiful, sunny day, and it just, it just had that feel about it. The first game in the Premier League that was shown was Forest against Liverpool, and it was great day in Nottingham. One goal, and we were bringing this to you from Italy, and all these huge world stars, and it was just blew everyone away. I think. The and anyone is... who had any preconceptions of what Syria was had to change their tune completely because they that what they thought it would be was not what it was. I remember what struck me was the colours that day. You know, I'd hate to say it. People know Rome is my Italian team, but that that yellow Lazio shirt, the Umbro shirt, just yeah. grabbed you on the pitch. And of course, mm. the Sampdoria shirt in the sun. I think it was the Asics one, wasn't it, with the St George's cross in the middle? It's, Beautiful, iconic. That Sampdoria shirt though is iconic. It's just. It's one of the most, it is one of the most iconic shirts in world football because even though they're the, most, the youngest Serie A team, it's got that sort of tradition. And the, the one thing I was going to say about Italian football shirts is until recently they might have changed somewhat is the tradition of the Juventus black and white stripes, the black and blue of Inter, the black and red of Milan. They try and stick to that. There's, they don't veer away from it that much. And, you know, like, uh, for example, Arsenal with some seasons, they'd have like more white sleeves or whatever. But it's sort of they try to keep that whole tradition of their colours close as possible. You know about the Palermo, you know why Palermo playing kit in pink, don't you? Well, I've heard two versions of the story. One is the kit man uh, got a red sock mixed in with some white shirts. <laughs> and the other version is one of the lords of Palermo decided that pink was a poetic colour that represented I think from what city. I've heard, it, there was a run in the wash and everything went pink. <laughs> which is amazing. But, I mean, I don't know how many teams play in pink, but um, I'm trundling another one on top of my head. But Juventus there aren't many. used to, didn't they? I think Juventus is, I think, their first couple of years of kits. Yeah, well, pink. until, because they went on a tour of the UK, forgot their kit, and Notts County gave them a kit. And that's exactly. Why that's why they wear black and white. Yeah. That is why they play in black and white. Yeah, it's mad. I think for me, it's, it's just, there is something eminently cool about Italy and Italian football that can be perfectly summed up in that first game. 
like you said, the, the sunlight kind of filtering through onto the pitch, the the, the new mm-hmm. stadium, the iconic kits, the colours, like Aidy was saying. And in the 90s especially, and I think it does carry on a little bit now, but especially in the 90s, you just had such a cast. I mean, if you're, you know, in production and you're, you're looking to create a series, what a cast of characters and names you had in Italian football at that time. But is there any of them that really kind of stood out for you that you enjoyed watching week in, week out? I would say... If I run through the clubs, I love George Ware because he was just, I mean, the complete striker. I mean, and then later Shevchenko, but in his peak, George Ware. For Inter, the fact that they had the original Ronaldo, who no one really talks about, because dare I say, dare I say, at his peak, I thought he was better than Cristiano at his absolute peak when he was fit. So you had him... And obviously that Juventus team of the 90s, Del Piero was, you know, just incredible. I um, mean, just like the the one club man who stuck with them when they went down, who did everything and just a remarkable player. Then if I sort of venture to other teams, obviously Totti at Roma, like Del Piero, a one club man pretty mm-hmm. much. I mean, I know Del Piero started at Padua, but, you know, um, Totti at Roma was just... If you watch this documentary, you probably have the fact he, the story about Real Madrid. He just couldn't leave Roma, and there's something really sort of charming about that. That he would never leave his his boyhood club. I can't imagine <laughs> something like that happening in nah, this day. Never, never. And then you had Signore across the city. You had Battistuta in Florence. All these guys were just incredible. They were just such iconic players, and they just a lot of them were just completely. You look at Del Piero and Tossi; they were symbols of their club. They were worshipped and they still are worshipped but I would say those two for what they achieved and how and Totti's story coming from you know as ball boy to winning the league with Roma is just the stuff of dreams and Del Piero coming from Padua from obscurity and the story that they released Baggio because they saw him as the heir apparent and they offered Baggio this new deal in 95 on reduced salary because they knew this kid was coming through and they didn't need both of them. And that, that decision was completely vindicated. But I think, I think those two probably, because finding a, a one-club player is so rare and also greats. I mean, they are greats of the game. Yeah, Baggio will probably feel like he vindicated himself as well in future seasons when he had that, you know, like the glorious, um, yeah. I say, some, yeah, late summer song that went on for years and years in the end. But With Bologna. Yeah, it was that sort of sliding doors moment, wasn't it? Because Del Piero came from Padova and I, th- I think his breakthrough season, Baggio picked up a pretty serious injury against Padova, which sort of yeah. completely opened the door for good. Del Piero to then break through. So. Very good. Incredible time. So, and, and even some of the smaller teams, I know we've listed some of the, the big clubs that were challenging throughout the 90s or various p- points of the 90s, but even the smaller teams in Syria at that, at that point had, had stars throughout the team, stars littering the league. They did, they did. I mean, I saw your, your Bari shirt behind you. I mean, Igor Protti was one. 95-96, joint top scorer. And I think I think they went down that year. And they he, went down, yeah. He was joint top scorer. And before him, there was a guy by the name of Sandro Tovalieri, who was, you may or may not know about, who was brilliant. I mean, he was, him and Protti were the same, were in that same team. But, you know, looking around the lesser clubs... Vincenzo Montella started with Genoa before he crossed the city. And then you had, there was a player who played for Vincenzo called Arturo Di Napoli. 
unbelievably talented forward, but never sort of, you sort of wonder whether there was something mentally not right that the big clubs wouldn't take a chance on him. You know, I'm just just going through my head. Well, yeah, players not the big clubs not taking a chance. You think of like Calgary and Oliveira. You know, he always seems to score when you turn the tally on, but yeah, could, could never do it at a bigger club. You know, I know it's just remarkable. And just just thinking about it, you know, Udinese. That's where Balbo started in Italy. Oliver Bierhoff played for Udinese. And it's just mad, isn't it? You know, these are these are small provincial clubs that you know have no right. To be to be where they were, you know, Udinese qualified for the Champions League. It's just, um, just... he had the rise of Atalanta as well, didn't he? During that period, I think you know, early nineties, Lippy, wasn't it? He, he brought went, them up. Yeah, and kept them, that yeah. was his first ninety two, ninety three. He was at Atalanta, then he went to Napoli and got Napoli from who did barely had a penny, got them into Europe on the final day. You know, then obviously he got the big move which transformed his career to Juventus. Talking about some of the, the provincial clubs, possibly one of the best stories of the 90s in Italy was Parma and they had some of the best players of that era and certainly some of the best kits or the most loved kits too. My goodness, yeah. Do you have any memories of them in that time? Yeah, I mean my sort of memories of Parma started with Faustino Aspria when he was the one who scored that free kick that ended Milan's incredibly long run of undefeated matches, which 50-something, I think it was 57 or something, I can't remember. But yeah, that Palmer team, I mean, the iconic white kit and also like that flower thing in the middle and the Palmer lat shirt. And then they had the yellow and blue stripe. And back then there was, you know, teams were changing kit all the time, sort of regularly, often using not their home colours sometimes on, on, on home games. I mean, you saw that Juventus kit the other week. I mean, Oh, come in. The blue one. Is it the blue one? There's, a, there's an absolutely horrendous <laughs> kit they have. And there's also an awful Milan one, which they wore recently. The white yeah. frost. White frost. Yeah, the bottle yeah. right horrible. And even, I think, Inter have sort of this year gone away from the tradition because they're not blue and black stripes this season. It's, it's really not a very pretty shirt. But going back to Palmer, I mean, that, that white kit. And there, there was one kit they were in 95 which was white and then they always had like this tire yellow and blue thing down the sleeves but yeah oh my god they they have some seriously um they were all, they were all great kits but you know you had the, the the tradition the udinese black and white stripes you know the iconic fiorentina purple kit you know which hasn't changed it's mad it the, the kits were phenomenal i mean at calorie you know they never veered away from dark red almost like black or dark blue hard shirts just they're, they're all iconic kits and people remember all these teams from from those days for example it's always been that sky blue it's always all the way through time which they haven't changed and there's well all there's 14 always... of their kits this season have had blue in them i think well they've had an insanely <laughs> number of kits i mean i know it's all to do with maradona but it does seem a bit much now it, it is ridiculous <laughs> Just trying to think of Roma kits that might stand out for you. Sort of, there was. Um, I'm just trying to think of their away kits. Can you think of any that stood out for you? So, so the beginning of the nineties, they had the beautiful um, Adidas kits that kicked off with, which I think are favourites among collectors. Adidas and Barilla are just um, a magical yeah. combo for people out there. The Asics kits were great, and Tom's wearing a Diadora kit today, and I, I was a big fan of the Diadora kits. 
yeah, particularly towards the end of it. It's a shame they could they, that when they did win the Scudetto, they did it in a shirt that's uh, too tight for me ever to really wear. That was shirt. a really tight shirt, wasn't it? <laughs> they also had a shirt in 94-95 sponsored by Nuova Terrena, which you may Yes, yeah, the laced version and the um, pop of collar version. Yeah, very nice. That was the Totti scored first goal against Foggia in that season, didn't he? So, yeah. Yeah, um, that makes um, good. but yeah, I remember the, uh, the the title winning shirt was just really tight, wasn't it? I remember clearly. Tighter now than it was then. So we touched on kits and we touched on teams and memories and, and he did touch on players, but are there any sort of magical moments or memories or stories that you've got around some of the players of the time? Yeah, I mean, so George Weyer arrived in Milan in 95. He was phenomenal in his first year. They won the league. Capello's last season in his first spell there. The first day of 96-97, our live game was reigning champions Milan against Rona. And Milan's coach was a guy called Oscar Tabaris, who didn't last long. Uruguayan coach. So first game is Milan against Verona, who just come up. It's really not a very exciting game. And then sort of towards half-time, I think, Verona go 1-0 up. So you think, blimey. Interesting. So Verona 1-0 up at half-time. Milan turn it around a bit. Go 1-0, go 2-1, as expected. You know, 2-1 win, first day, you know, it's to be expected. Anyway, so we had a thing called Magic Moments or or star player or whatever they just brought it in or something and it would be like the winning goal or something and obviously it's 2-1 sets the story is Milan's comeback and we're now in 88 minutes and back then when we were analysing the game I literally we would literally have to edit highlights so it would be like you'd have the, the goal in real time then we'd have replays like two or three replays after it and then we'd now in TV you have an EBS where you can record and make sequences while the match is going on but back then it was literally in an edit so I've got everything ready I've got goals I've got everything else from the game it's 88 minutes Verona get a corner oh please just don't score from this corner just something really tame straight to the keeper and let's have 2-1 full time George Ware controls it you probably know what I'm going to say now and he runs and he runs and he runs and I'm sort of thinking at the end please just miss and obviously he doesn't. It scores like one of the greatest goals of all time. So that meant going back into the edit, cutting that, changing the winning moment. So it is absolute chaos because you never, back then you didn't know how much injury time there would be and how much time you'd have. So I frantically run back into the edit to just get this stuff done while I'm putting it all together. Baggio scores a fourth and it's just like, you know what? It's the first day, for God's sake. I don't need all this on the first. So late goals were a nightmare. Nobody remembers that Baggio goal anyway after that way goal. You'd be fine missing that off the edit. <laughs> I literally think he scored straight after that. It's just mad. Lindy again. And the block by Maldini. But at the expense of a corner. Alba now will be cursing themselves if they throw it away again now. Having worked so hard to transform the match. Rossi's take back on his line. Great control from George Ware. He's having to go it alone for the moment. And he's doing pretty well. Still well. Terrific run here. Now can he finish? What a goal. Oh. I think that is definitely a candidate for goal of the season, that one. That was magnificent, wasn't it? 
the other one was back then we were recording on these really funny tapes. A guy who was my predecessor on doing this whole operation up in VT at, at Channel 4. Um, I won't mention his name. And it was Palmer Sampdoria in 94. And it was one all. It was at the time Palmer got a free kick. Like sort of quite near the touchline. I think it was between the touchline and the penalty area. sort of level with the edge of the box. And uh, the producer comes on to talk back. Says, are you in record? He says, oh, um, I'm not sure. Get in record. So we get, get into record. I'm just like down the corridor. And Zola bends one in from like the most insane angle. And it was just, we nearly didn't record it. I mean, it's just, it, it was chaos some days up there. It really was chaos. And you'll you probably know the story from the book. When Juventus played Milan in 99, they, um second half kicked off. It's another way of story. And for some reason, they were on it. I don't know what was going on in Italy, but they were on a camera above the goal at the far end. So you're sort of seeing the matches kicked off and the ball's going sort of towards the Juventus area. And sort of as it, he's about to head it over Peruzzi. You're trying to make it out. And as basically as the ball goes in, they cut to it, I think. And it's literally, you missed the goal. And you're thinking, it's the start of the second half. How? But we had these issues with Italian coverage. Italian coverage is still <laughs> pretty similar. And it was just crazy stuff. I mean, just the strangest things happened. There was one game, which we didn't cover live, Sampdoria Pescara in 93, where this swarm of bees convened in the, the actual stanchion of the goal. I, I don't know on what planet this happens, but basically these hundreds and hundreds of bees are in this one corner. You know, mental football fans are. The Sampdoria fan goes up to it and tries to shake the goal. And there are hundreds of bees there. And anyway, the beekeeper comes, the match gets delayed, and the bees go and they kick off again. But just the crazy stuff, which you couldn't imagine happening now. Bees famously the enemy of the dolphin of Pescara then. <laughs> yeah, very much. So. This. <laughs> <laughs> very much so, yeah. Amongst the cast and crew, were there any of you that did have a kit collection or ever picked up shirts or has anything like that yourselves? I'm not sure we had. We had the odd frames signed shirt on the wall every now and then. They weren't real Italian football boffins I worked with. They was, was often they'd move people between departments every year. So like someone would be working on another sport and then they'd come on to Syria. I was pretty much the only mainstay along with James and the talent throughout the whole thing i've got such strong memories of of the shirts i as Roman fans i shouldn't probably ask this question but you you probably remember in lazio's title winning season they went they had a white shirt they wore a lot it's a centenary season wasn't it i think yeah that and year. they wore a white yeah. shirt yeah which i think they've played in after then as well um but yeah it that was yeah they i remember them playing in that kit that's one that sprung to mind for me just trying to think if there's any, any others. Yeah, Fiorentina had quite a nice red away kit, didn't they, in the late 90s? That, super, that super really... rare, that, that red kit. I, I'm, I'm not sure I've ever seen someone with one. I know classic football shirts have one that they kind of exhibit yeah. around, but other than that, it's super yeah. rare, I think. Yeah, it's a really lovely kit. And also, I found back then that sometimes you would get the odds, you know, that the, there might be a, a clash, not a clash, but... You might get matches where the kits were very, very similar. Like you'd have, for example, 
Fiorentina might wear their home kit against a team in red, and which you wouldn't normally expect. There was a bit of that every now and then. Yeah, it's amazing where, where the kits have gone since then, because I think most teams have got four or five kits. And I say, yeah, some, some have got up to 14 kits in Italy this year. So Yeah, Juventus seem to have an obsession with playing in their away kit at home. Yeah, they got to five. Well, the problem is they only released that fourth kit with three games to play. So, yeah, and um, <laughs> it, it was good to see. It was, it was Bologna, wasn't it? Spoil the day for them and, and get a draw when they debuted that monstrosity of a kit. So. Oh, no horrible, horrible. Let's reminisce a little bit more. Um, quick fire. Let's nail you down to your Calcio starting eleven. Are you up for that? Yeah, I am. Let's um, go with your gut. Well, go. I'm going to play four-four-two if that's permitted, because I'm old-fashioned like that. And I obviously have Buffon in goal. I would have probably a right back. Oh God! Obviously, you would have Barese in there. I will probably, um, I'm going to miss out people. So this is the trouble. You've got me on the spot here. Um, <laughs> oh, I don't I want mean, to lead the witness, but I think right back, you've probably got Sinetti or Cafu, I think. You've got to play. Yeah, but who do you play? I mean, I would probably say Sinetti because he was sort of there longer and he was sort of doing it longer. Uh, you play Brazy, Maldini, and I'm trying to think if there's a left winger I can think of sort of left back who was really attacking but my mind is really struggling at the moment so should we say Costa Curta and Maldini they um Zidane obviously got to go in there um um, um oh my god in fact I'm going to play 4-3-3 and I have three strikers so we're going to have Zidane in there Rui Costa possibly because you're really putting me on the spot here yeah no no no, no. <laughs> it's a horrible People, question it's horrible it's horrible but I wanted to get the gut I said go the gut and Rui Costa is a, is a shout that lot I've seen lots of polls and he's um, he's a hipster choice Jonathan oh yeah he is he was something else and I'm trying to think I want to go with someone you know really really um, stylish Conte was a bit of a you know a bit of a workhorse bloody good player I'm trying to think of anyone just for you that I can remember you need some balance, I think. You've those two. You're going to have to go with, I don't know, a, a Deschamps or an Albertini or uh, yeah, something like that to have a bit of balance. I think so. Although they probably just win every week anyway. Yeah. Oh, let's go with um, let's go with Albertini. And then, Jesus, attacking players. I mean, you've got to put Batistuta in there, haven't you? Mm-hmm. I mean... I would say so. Uh, you've got to put Batistuta in there. You've got to put Ronaldo at his peak. But then you've got players like Del Piero, Totti, Zola, Signori... I mean, Mancini, Fiali. I mean, the list goes on. Yeah. I, well, I won't put Fiali in there because he was only there sort of three seasons that we did the coverage. So I would put, for loyalty's sake, one of Del Piero Totti. But you've got to have Ronaldo and Batistuta. I mean, they, they are iconic players. And, I, and people don't talk about Ronaldo and how good he was. But his pace was insane. I mean, just another level of pace. It was just remarkable. With Ronaldo, a lot of people remember him for his time at Madrid after he'd had quite a lot of injuries. Get how electric he was when he, you know, when he was a lot younger. For his injuries, my God, just insanely good, insanely good. But yeah, that's who I'd go with, I think. But I'd have some very good substitutes. You very skillfully not had to choose between Del Piero and Totti there. How can you do (laughs) I mean, they're basically the same, but at different clubs, I would say. I've seen in lots of those debates, of, yeah, and they're normally quite civil until it gets to choosing the forward line and then and then people really fall out. I know, it's impossible. There's so many good players, but something along those lines. But then you, the trouble is then you've got someone like Shevchenko. I mean, yeah. where? I mean, 
where does it stop? I, I think you just highlighted just how good good that league was. And then you, you got know. Mancini. I mean, Vieri. Vieri wasn't really there for many seasons because he was... Joey, but Be- Beerhoff for, for a good two, three, four seasons, was his goal-scoring record was something else. Well, we're yeah, all... he won the title with Milan. We're all he went in a Brackley... He followed Zaccaroni to Milan. Well, so we're all forgetting a Brackley favourite with Ravinelli. Ravinelli left in 96. For the glory of Straight after the European nice. Cup. Yeah, yeah. Straight after the Champions <laughs> League. So I know Ronaldo wasn't there. Ronaldo had like five seasons or six seasons into so I'm including him. But you can't not include him because of the player he was. But, you know, and the sort of the memory of that final game we ever had was that Lazio Inter game where Inter collapsed and, Inter, and he was on tears on the bench. It's sort of, it was sort of never meant to be for him. I mean, that the other thing about Ronaldo is that goal against Lazio in the UEFA Cup final when he mm-hmm. faints to go. I mean, <laughs> that was unbelievable. Yeah. Just, insanely talented he wasn't doing it against anyone special though. only Alessandro Nesta you know is, is, yeah, is exactly. getting the better of him I, honestly when I heard that Mike Lowen said Van Dyke's the best defender of all time centre half of all time I was sort of do people ever get out of this Premier League right now bubble because you know what I mean has he not seen that Milan team has he not seen Nesta I mean god it's mad isn't it people live in some alternate universe I think and where everything's the greatest now. And I think that, that happens a lot in football talk, especially these days. You're only the greatest if you're playing now, never mind some incredible player from whenever. It's just all about now. If you're saying the greatest, it's got to be, you've got to sort of allow some sort of period of time, you know. I think, like Aidy says, there's always some contentious choices with these 11s whenever people pick them. But one part of those teams that's always unanimous is that Milan, Baresi, Costa Curta and Maldi, everyone always picks those three. And then amazing. You, you feel sorry for players like Nesta and Cannavaro, who were also unbelievable. I would put them both ahead of Van Dijk, personally. And, and Turan. Tur- yeah, of course, Lillian Turan too. Yeah, unbelievable player. At U- Juve and Palm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely incredible. Well, that's been an amazing trip down memory lane. I highly recommend to anybody that they get online, they have a look for Galasso, the Football Italia years. It's a great read. It's not too heavy. And I'll tell you what, they won't regret it. It's a, it's, it's a fantastic book. Jordan it's on Amazon. Amazon. Just give it a plug. It's $9.99. So it's, it's a sort of nostalgic look back. And for anyone that remembers that time, it's really, really a special time. It's been an absolute pleasure having you join us today. Who knows? Thank perhaps you for we'll having me on. It's similar been... again in the future. It's been great. Yeah, you know, it's just, it's really lovely sort of going back in time and sort of remembering that period because everything is so, um, everything's now, I find a lot of time. There's a lot of podcasts, it's what's happening now. And it's just so nice to just like, take a step back and look back at a period in time when it was incredible and it was probably never be matched. It, it, we were just lucky in that Gaza basically started the whole thing and it just was when it was all so great and it all just it was a perfect storm i think you've like i said right at the start i have you to blame and to thank for God. many many great things <laughs> in my life so thank you very much it has been a pleasure no problem no problem no problem at all
Now for Shirt Room 101 with Josh, a.k.a. The Kits Man. So something I like to see go into Room 101 is full sublimation on a football kit. So what I mean by that, for anybody that's not aware of what sublimation uh, uh, means, it's when a, a garment or a shirt has all the detailing printed within it. So rather than you having an embroidery, uh, you having like a heat press or, a, you know, a silicon badge or anything like that, it's all, it's, it's all part of the actual fabric itself. So it's almost like you've got a shirt and you've printed everything on into it. Um, for me, uh, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a football shirt purist. I, I love those details. And um, I've seen a rise of it recently um, with, with some of the kits that have been coming out where uh, they get uh, released at quite full price as well. Uh, you know, they're not any cheaper than any other shirt. Um, and to me, it is just a T-shirt. It isn't a football shirt. Uh, I don't mind parts of it on a shirt. You know, some sponsors, you know, are sublimated, but there are always other parts of a shirt that aren't. But yeah, for me, uh, full sublimation on a football shirt okay there's some, there's some great points in there who wants to kick us off uh i'll go first then no chance there <laughs> for me <laughs> straight in there is no way this can go in 101 there the, the problem with it for me is one of my favorite shirts i own is fully sublimated it, it's it's the bayern 90th anniversary shirt so by putting this into 101 I am setting fire to my Bayern 90th anniversary shirt. And that is never going to happen in a million years. Um, but to be fair, not, not only that, I, I do understand where the argument comes from, because I think that there are some manufacturers out there, like I've got a couple of sort of like Central American shirts from manufacturers I've never even heard before. And the quality is horrendous. You know, it, it is fully sublimated and it's crap. I think for me, it comes down to the same argument as everything in that, some are good and some are bad. And it's all about the way that it's done. I've got some Umbro shirts that are fully sublimated and I've got some Umbro shirts that are partly sublimated and they're brilliant. The quality is amazing. I think that for, for me, it's, it's, still, it's definitely still a football shirt if, it, if it's sublimated. That, that is one argument I, I would put in the bin on its own. Um, but yeah, for me, unfortunately, it's a really resounding no way. Mike, I'm with you here. All I've got to say is Roma 1993. Those shirts, home and away, are two of the best shirts of all time, are fully sublimated. The Roma 91 blue third shirt, sublimated. Again, one of the greatest football shirts there's ever been. Yeah, that there's over my dead body is this going in 101. But I do understand around the, it done badly. And we do see a lot of modern cheap versions of this done. And I, I, I get where it's come from. So I'm going to diplomatically disagree. So I don't want it to go into room 101. Um, but, so one of my reasons is, you know, variety is the spice of life. So as much as I agree with Josh that, I mean, I like a stitched badge. I like a heat pressed badge. And so to, I wouldn't, I don't want it not to go in because sublimated are my favorite, but it's just, how boring would football shirts be if they were all the same? So the fact that you have some that are sublimated that are some aren't is one of the reasons. The other reason is what we've, what we've briefly touched on, 
um, is that some of the greatest shirts out there are fully sublimated. And just to just I made a list just so I know you, you touched on a couple there, Adrian, but I've got you know, this is just a few of the highlights of what we'd be putting in room 101. The shirt I'm wearing right now, 92-93, Adidas Trefoil shirt, that's going 101. One of my favorite shirts of all time, as you said, the 91-92 Roma third, the blue one. Fiorentina, 92-93, the whole range, gone. You've got the 94, 93-94 Allsport Fiorentina range, all gone. Holland in the Euro 96, they're lovely the orange home and that lovely faded orange into white away, gone. Even the even modern shirts, Michael, appreciate this. The parlays from 1617 that Real Madrid and Bayern wore on a one-off, gone. And probably the craziest number of shirts that would disappear. And there'll be a few listeners and a panelist that will agree. But if you put fully sublimated shirts in room 101, you lose 1990 to 1995 Dortmund shirts, all of them gone. I mean, that's it, it just, it can't be done. I'm sorry. It can't be done. And that was just the one, that's just the, the highlights. There will be many, many more that will just disappear. So I, I'm really sorry. I can't, I cannot agree with putting it in one-on-one. See, I was going to agree with Josh, but how can I possibly disagree with that from, from Scott? But uh, in fairness, sometimes I do get disappointed when you see a shirt arrive and it's fully sublimated and you didn't expect it. But in terms of modern shirts, you know, you've got Charlie. They're really flying the flag in terms of good made sublimated shirts. One thing I'd agree on with Josh, maybe price point. If it's a sublimated shirt, it should cost less. And if it's, a, it's, it's the same as a non-sublimated shirt, I think, yeah, that, that needs to go in room 101, but not all of them, not all of them. Yeah, so the one point I was going to add to my list of shirts there is that obviously that's a mixture of uh, replicas and uh, match-worns because the, I know Fiorentina, for example, the, the, the shirts that were available to fans were sublimated, whereas the match shirts still had an embroidered badge. But, you know, unless you're going to start dipping into the... Uh, the match-worn market, which we know is rather inflated at the moment, then you, you, you still don't want to put the shirts that you could own as a fan in Room 101, in my opinion. Yeah, I think just, just to add to that, I think with the whole sublimated thing, I think maybe that it's obviously it's something that's been been done with, with as you've touched on, Scott, some of the, the best shirts. And I know that not all of them are, are fully sublimated. Some of it is only, only partly, but... I just think sublimation, whether it's full or part, it's it's part of football shirts. And and like you say, if if you if you get rid of them, you get rid of all of them. And I don't know, it's nice to have something different now and again. And like I say, it, like again, like like um Tom touched on price point. Yeah, fair enough. Maybe they should be cheaper. But personally, I quite like them. And um, I think one of one of the advantages with them is actually playing or, or running in them as well. Because as um uh, people have touched on in the past, you get a bit of nipple chafing going on sometimes from badges. Where if you've got a fully sublimated shirt, you throw that on, you go for a run, you ain't got to worry about it. So, so there's been, there's more than just the, the design benefits of it. And of course, you need to worry less about wear and tear with a sublimated shirt. You can wear it and not worry too much about, you know, a sponsor peeling off, you know, so that, that it does have benefits, definitely. If we didn't have sublimated shirts, we also wouldn't have the skin off a CD Palencia playoff shirts either. And that would be a travesty. 
That's I think you might have just, you might have just convinced me. I might, I might have changed my mind. <laughs> He's maybe changed my mind twice. Yeah. <laughs> but just, just to, to, I mean, just go, going back as well, I think that, like like you say, with, with sponsors and stuff coming off, I think maybe, put, put it from this way, if maybe you were offered some of those sort of like classic 80s and 90s shirts that are known for just disintegrating over the years and having to get some dodgy print to, to renew it, but to you know to try and get it looking back how it used to and it never quite works because they never quite look the same if if you had the ability to go back in time and change just a few of them to fully sublimated so today they are still just as pristine as they were back in the day there's a few shirts that i would absolutely take that deal on yeah that's a good point and i think because if you look at a screen what's a screen print sponsor apart from a washing disaster as you said now if you go you know the embossed uh, sponsors of some of the 90s shirts obviously you wouldn't want to remove them for sublimation but yeah screen printed sponsor compared to a, a sublimated sponsor wouldn't wouldn't make that much difference really would it apart from longevity I think the one thing that Josh did really well it was actually articulate what sublimation is in terms of football shirts and a lot of people get jacquard and sublimation mixed up so you'll see the pattern in the shirt and the Borussia shirts that we mentioned are, are great great um example of that but the sort of lightning pattern you get through the shirt that's not sublimation the amount of times you see people get that wrong i think he's articulated that really well so it's a good good lesson really there for us all to take away i don't need to go around the room do i um no yeah okay uh sorry josh Thank you very much, listeners, for joining us again. That concludes another exciting week, being biased, the most exciting week we've ever had on podcast history. Sorry, on the Kitmag podcast history. Uh, Tom's got a few kind words and further goodbye he'd like to say as well. Yeah, I just want to say uh, we really appreciate the support that we're getting for the pods and for the magazine as well. It is really important to us to get some of that feedback and, and to hear what you do like and, and maybe what you don't as well, because ultimately we just want to create something that you guys would enjoy listening to. I mean, we, we have fun doing it ourselves, but yeah, it'd be great to, to hear a bit more from some of you guys and yeah, just thank you again for, for keeping on listening.